Right, guys, as you know, we're in a series at the moment going through the book of Galatians. From time to time, we'll do this where we go uh, through a whole book because it allows us to get to some things that maybe we wouldn't normally get to. Uh, it en- enables us to uh, get through some maybe some difficult passage or things. And uh, we're hoping that this particular passage is going to do that for us today. We're, we're trusting that when we do this, we're going to come across some passages that are going to be of great encouragement to us and that are going to challenge us also at the same time. And I'm trusting that we're going to experience that truth today. Some context, just to recap with us. Galatians, a book in the New Testament, was a letter written by someone that we know as Paul or the Apostle Paul, wrote a lot of our New Testament. Uh, He was a Jewish leader who came to faith in Jesus Christ and had his life turned around from hating the church to meeting Jesus to then spending the rest of his life taking the truth about Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom to those who had never heard it before. We'd see people come to faith, churches would be established, and then from time to time when he got a break, he would just then be able to encourage them and some write letters back to these believers and these churches. Sometimes you'd have to bring some correction, some encouragement. Sometimes you'd have to clear up some misunderstandings, and he would need to just keep helping them uh, form their lives around the truth of Jesus. And this is what's happening in this letter. In this church, there are some people who have come in and are imposing other beliefs on top of the gospel of Jesus. And Paul is saying, these people coming in are giving you and bringing a false gospel. And he's quite angry because the joy of salvation is being tainted by people who are heaping things that are not necessary for faith. And if you've been tracking with us, you know what he would call these Judaizers, people that are bringing in all the law of the Old Testament and heaping it onto them, and it's distorting the freedom that the gospel brings. And we're going to be continuing with all of that this week. And so grab uh, a Bible, uh, scroll uh, to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to pick up from uh, verse 26. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and this is uh, what Paul is writing as he's continuing in his letter to the church. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you are all baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, just understanding a bit more of the context here. There's guys coming in who hold more to an Old Testament framework who think to now follow Jesus, you need to obey everything that was in the Old Testament, all the laws, and Paul is needing to correct that, and he's going to the source of where all of this thinking comes from. And so what we're going to do for at least this first bit uh, is we're going to kind of moonwalk backwards through this passage uh, because it's very helpful to kind of unpack it a bit backwards. So in verse 29, he's talking about, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So 
I want you to take notes of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is quite a core kind of promise and thinking in all of the life of Israel and people who hold to kind of a Jewish background. If you were ethnic Jews, this was a bit of a big deal. This is what it says in, in Genesis chapter 12. Then the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, leave your people and your father's household uh, to the land that I will show you. And then God makes this promise to him. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This was an incredible promise that God made to Abraham. And we see throughout scripture that this promise was fulfilled. And we see it like this. First, God calls this guy Abraham, later who we know as Abraham, and God does bless him. He blesses him and he becomes the nation of Israel. Through the nation of Israel comes Jesus. And through the work of Jesus, every single person on this planet is blessed through the work that he has done. Now, this is where it kind of got stuck for uh, people if they were ethnic Israel. They lived with this promise for a very long time. They lived in the joy and in many cases the superiority of being God's chosen people through the promise of Abraham. God did bless them. They were a great nation. Part of that was the law, and they lived with that as part of their very identity. And this is very interesting because when you kind of import nationalism into faith, things can get quite messy. And here they're coming in with everything they've known as people for thousands of years, and, and, and even maybe, maybe right-heartedly, but look at the promise of God that came through us and kind of getting it a bit wrong. And so Paul, when he's talking about the promise of Abraham and being Abraham's seed, he's talking about this promise. And this was a big deal because it's part of the whole big salvation story from uh, the first few pages of Scripture till the very end. God talking about his plan and how he brought about said plan to bless all of us. He calls one guy who's who obeys in faith and leaves everything to follow God. God blesses him incredibly. Through that line comes Jesus, and all people are blessed through him. So when it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He's starting to kind of get to the heart of what these Judaizers are getting wrong in what it means to be uh, part of the gospel of Jesus and the freedom that that brings. And so when Paul's understanding this and unpacking this, it brings some radical implications. And these implications are even radical today and more so uh, in, in Paul's day and writing into this context. So if he's saying then if we're part of Christ, we are then Abraham's descendants, and he's gonna unpack that a little bit more in, in chapter four, we'll get there. And then we are heirs according to the promise. Therefore, if that's true, 
We go backwards again to verse 28. The implications of that is Paul is stating there cannot be Jew or Gentile. There can't be slave nor free. There can't be male or female because we are all one in Christ. This promise, this idea of what God is doing extends now past one nation and God blessed them and set them up so that everybody else could be blessed in Christ. So now there are some implications coming out of this. Here's implication one. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, no one is excluded from the promise of God. When it comes to the work of Jesus, it is impossible for anyone to be excluded. Think of a person. Think of a people group. Think of, in your mind, try and create like the worst of the worst of the worst. And guess what? They're not excluded. There is no one. It is impossible for a person, a people group, a segment of our population to be excluded from the work of God. The promise that has come and the promise of God for salvation, just with the way he has set it up, includes everyone. And this is some of what he is unpacking and getting into the hearts of these guys who are imposing some of these things on, in this case, Gentile believers who they're coming in as people who are from a Jewish background or Judaizers or however you want to, want to word them. So the next implication coming out of this is that if I am perpetuating any form of segregation, I am living out a false gospel. This is the truth of what Paul is bringing to the church. You see, when I spoke about this Jewish nationalism, they lived under the law and obeyed the law, and the law excluded them from engaging in anyone who wasn't Jewish. So they would become unclean if they engaged with someone who would be a Gentile, anyone who wasn't Jewish. That's how they lived for so long. Now, as Jesus comes and uh, all of the, the, the fullness of God's salvation has been revealed, now people are needing to figure out how do I uh, kind of lay aside everything that has defined me and live according to the gospel. And so he is uh, dealing with a, a, a major heart issue here. Because they're wanting to try and bring all of this back in and figure out, well, this is how I behave culturally. I've always been better than you. You are unclean. I am not. Uh, I've had the promise. I've been part of that. I'm Jewish. You're not. And at the heart of this, what they're doing is denying the promise. God's salvation plan, which extends to everyone. And the danger is that this behavior still exists today. The church isn't very old at this stage. They're still trying to figure it out. But there are things that they are using to divide people. But the gospel destroys that. There cannot be any form of segregating any aspect of our society when it comes to the promise of God. He destroys that. One person to a nation to all people are included in that promise. And so if that is true, 
If we are then all descendants of Abraham because of the promise, if we are then all included in there, there cannot be any label that divides any part of our society. He goes right to the heart of it. There can't be Jew and Gentile. It can't exist. There can't be slave and free. There can't be this male and female hierarchy or whatever they're using at that time and and, and don't want to go down too many rabbit holes, but what's interesting is I think if Paul had to write or rewrite this letter to us and bring this in, I think he would maybe use a few other uh, categories of, of dividing and segregation. Obviously, writing into South Africa, he would write uh, black and white. He would probably write, there can be no rich and poor. He would probably write along the lines of no educated or uneducated. But when we think about what he's writing and understand this, here in the church, they are battling to live out community because they're holding to things that would divide. And this is part of this false gospel where people are adding their cultural uh, behaviors, their national identity into the mix. And I think that we do that too. Not so overtly, but I think where this is an issue is covertly. Because if in my heart there is someone that I cannot engage with, for whatever reason, I am then living out a false gospel. If I cannot engage with someone in a faith space, in uh, this church community, because they are different, then I am I'm perpetuating uh, segregation, and that is a false gospel. If for whatever reason I can't engage with someone because they're poor, if I can't engage with them because they don't match my intellects, if I can't engage with someone because they are a different ethnicity to me, then that is uh, part of this false gospel which does not accept everyone as uh, heirs of the promise and makes us part of God's family. And this is a big deal because it might be at a level of I can sit in the same room with people, but it never extends past that into genuine community. I'll sit in the same room, but I won't engage with. Uh, How does that saying going, birds of a feather flock together, right? That's easy. It's comfortable because we like to connect with people who are like us. It's easy to find someone who I have good affinity with, and and then it's nice. And then I have my people, and then I look forward to that on a Sunday. Now, there's nothing wrong with having uh, things in common with people and engaging with them. But you know when we do that, that shows like a surface level community. Because if I avoid people in a gathering where we all worship Jesus, and I avoid them because dot, 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 then covertly I'm carrying out a form of segregation. Which if we're honest and we look at what Scripture says here, that is a false gospel. We are bringing in stuff which divides, where Scripture includes. 
Because no one is excluded outside of the promises of God. There's no one who can be an outsider. The promises of God extend for everyone. Remember the first time I kind of encountered something like this. Um, I was doing a mission trip into Mozambique, and we had done a few trips into Mozambique, and we had learned a few things about traveling in country. We had to have large amounts of cash at our disposal because we were being repeatedly stopped by police for bogus things. And they would just keep us on the side of the road until uh, we forked out some money and could get onto our journey. And to not be delayed by hours, and if anyone has perseverance, it's Mozambican police. And sometimes we could sit for a very long time. So on this particular trip, someone made woven crosses to stick in uh, the, the front of our cars as we were traveling in convoy. And we were pulled over by uh, the police, and we were all made to get out of the vehicles. And this particular police officer was doing an inspection around the vehicle and pulled out the cross that was in the front of the car. And he looked at the cross, and he looked at me, and his face lit up. And he went, my brother. And he just ran and gave me this hug like this huge bear hug. And we then just had the most incredible time of connecting. We prayed together. We spoke about our lives. It was just this, this moment where I was realized the joy of Jesus is that because he is a believer, he is my brother. And I can have a, 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 a moment with him. I can have a friendship with him. That was just a fleeting one. He then radio dispatch, gave all our license plate numbers through, and we weren't stopped by a single roadblock the rest of that trip. But it was one of the first times that I saw what was possible with the gospel. Because there is nothing that separates. And so a stranger who I'd never met before, realized I was a believer, he was a believer, and so we were family reuniting. And that we could have a significant moment where we could pray together, where we could love each other because of the gospel. Two weeks ago, I was involved in a missions event in Katlahong, uh, just a couple of kilometers away. There were just over 20 of us that spent uh, four days uh, in, in the suburbs out there just training and, and, and sharing our faith and encouraging people uh, and just starting some, some gatherings in homes. What was really interesting is when we unpacked just some of the dynamics involved, we had some Americans, we had guys from uh, Kenya, we had local South Africans, we had guys from Lesotho, we had people from Malawi, uh, we had people ha that had doctorates in theology, we had uh, one person had two theological degrees, uh, just some of us just only had, had one, and a whole range in between as we were serving Jesus together out in the streets, uh, doing uh, some incredible work and on Friday, we had some baptisms, and uh, the person who was most effective uh, in sharing their faith and actually brought people back and baptized them was a 20-year-old domestic worker. Right, we had the real McCoys, right? Doctorates in theology, big shot guys from out of country, 
But the person who was used most effectively, and that's the gospel, right? That's how no one is excluded from being used by God and included in his promise. If we apply dividing uh, kind of criteria, we'd have gone, shouldn't the guys with their doctorates and missions be in the most effective? And shouldn't we have looked at them to do the, the best kind of work? But no, that's not how the kingdom works. And if we perpetuate that, we miss out. We miss out on this wonderful promise of verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because we are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Notice some of the language from uh, chapter 3, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman. As he's unpacking the truth of the gospel, he's attacking all of that. Even if you were a Jew and you had the law, you were still a slave. When he's unpacking Jesus, he's going, remember, just born under a woman, that's who our Savior came from. And so what he drives home here is it doesn't matter. You can claim whatever you want to around your superiority and your nationality, nationalism, whatever. You still are adopted into God's family no matter what. Doesn't matter what you came with. You needed Jesus. And by that alone, you're adopted into his family just like everyone else. Your bank balance, you need adoption into God's family. Your ethnicity, you need adoption into God's family. Your language, you need adoption into his family. Your status, you need adoption into his family. It levels the playing field completely when it comes to faith in the church. That no one can claim anything better than anyone else. And isn't that just the joy of what Jesus does? And I'm so grateful for that. Because God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And this works both ways, right? We just think that um, it's maybe the, the rich or the educated or the superior who perpetuate this. But those on the other side could do it as well. Because I don't think I'm worthy to be part of God's kingdom. I don't think I'm worthy because of my, my bringing. I come from a humble background. I'm, I'm a refugee or uh, I'm unemployed. How, how can God use me when all these other people have it all together. Look how God uses them. That's nonsense. Goes the same way. Because if everyone is adopted and everyone receives the same spirit, everyone is heirs to the promise of God. Everyone receives the fullness of the spirit to serve Jesus in his church. And so every one of us with the same spirit, with the same Jesus, the same salvation gets a call out. Abba Father, every single one of us are adopted. And this is why community is so important. Because it's more than that. There's, there's such a deeper unifying work that Jesus does here. It's I get to call someone my brother in Christ. 
that's not like nice Christianese where we go, hey, brother, you know, so-and-so or brother. No. Because of the work of Jesus, we are now being brought into God's family. Something's happened to both of us. We get to celebrate that together. We get to live that out where the world is constantly dividing. The church just keeps on uniting. And this is important for us to live this out. This is why Jesus is, is, Paul is really nailing this argument because we can't divide. We can't practice what the world does. We can't. In fact, the only way to properly divide people is into those who've heard about the, the good news of Jesus and those who haven't. Because Jesus just unifies across everything else. So where does that leave us this morning? So for those of you who have come to faith in Jesus, this is, now I'm speaking to, to you guys exclusively. We can do this church thing. And we might think that we understand unity, we understand community. But Jesus is asking you to look into your hearts and ask, are there people that I avoid in this room? Are there people that I'm happy that are here as long as we're not friends? As long as you don't infiltrate my friendship circles because I live out that birds of a feather flock together. I have my people, I like my people, but you will never be part of my people. We need to ask ourselves if that's a reality for us. And there are people that you avoid. If that's the case, your response is repentance. And we need to repent because we have been living out a false gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus unifies and brings us all together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're not doing that, as I've been saying, then you are carrying out a false gospel, which we have no place for. So you need to take some time and repent. And maybe your action step is to walk across the room and maybe go and say hello and, and to start up a conversation. Because again, we're losing out if we're not engaging with all of God's people just because they look different or maybe are different to, to us. And then for those of you who this is maybe new for you, you're still exploring Christianity, you, you're still new to Jesus and, and, and you, you're still trying to figure this all out, maybe the decision for you today is that you're realizing the joy of Jesus is that he accepts you and that his promises are for you. And that if you're trying to figure out what it means to follow him, you don't have to figure out much. Is he just wants you to be part of his family. Is his work on the cross in your place for your sin was to bring you in and to bring you into all that he has done and to see you part of his family. And so maybe your decision today is to accept that and to actually say, yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of that. And so we can help facilitate that. As always, there's an invitation every single week that if you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer to help figure out what your repentance looks like, you come take a seat. Someone will help pray with you. If you want to come to faith in Christ and you don't know how to really do that, come take a seat. Someone will come and pray with you. But we need to take some time uh, to figure out this joy of all being family. And I just think of what Jesus said. This is how men will know that you are my disciples, by how you love one another. And I would call to be that genuinely. And so let's pray. Jesus, just as we've been confronted with the joy and the truth of your word. 
Jesus, I pray that you would reveal in our hearts where some of our darkness still lies, where we perpetuate segregation. Jesus, if any of us are avoiding people because they're different, Jesus, if we avoid people for whatever reason, I pray that you would convict convict us of that. Because Jesus, everyone is included. And when I'm excluding or avoiding someone, what I'm doing is I'm avoiding my brother in Christ. I'm avoiding my sister in Christ, someone who has been saved and adopted like me. So Jesus, help me to come to a place of repentance where I've done that. Jesus, help me to overcome that. Jesus, if any of us have felt less than and have held back because they felt not good enough, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring freedom because we're all part of the same salvation and have received the same spirits and have all got a part to play in your wonderful church. And so if people need to repent of that, Jesus, you would help them to do that. And if anyone is feeling like they can't be accepted by Jesus, I pray, Jesus, that you would help them just to show them how much you love them no matter what. Thank you, Jesus, that as a church we can break the behavior of the world, that we can show what it means to love because we're all together in this salvation. Thank you so much for that, Jesus. In your holy name.